Often when we hear about single or separated fathers, the discussion is dominated by issues rather than experience. To draw the long hand and the short hand to show one o'clock, like you did again, alright? Yeah, that's the last. No, that's your clock. Where's the one? Yeah. Very good. But how has fatherhood changed? What is it like to be a dad in the 21st century? Three fathers share their stories of fatherhood and family. The majority of people that I know that have kids, like the, the, the father is a very active person in the, rela- in the relationship with the child and, and they're, they're fantastic with them. There's nothing there to, to state that, that fathers can't be just as loving and caring. So, I mean, maybe it was different years ago. While many of his friends are thinking of starting a new life abroad, 23-year-old separated father of one, Aidan Ryan, is very involved in the daily life of his young son, Cameron. Get up and go to work, and my parents would be there to, to have him in the morning, like, you know, to, to look after him. But he'd be, he'd be in Montessori on all five days a week, like. So it's grand. So he'd be there until half twelve, and then he goes to the, the after school service that they run, basically. So, so just gets mine there, and I just... And what age is Carmen? He's four and a half. I July. You are four and a half, yeah? Mm. We just have it turned down so that we can talk. Is that all right? No. No? <laughs> you can wait a few minutes and you can watch TV then. This one? Yeah. And what time is that? Um, I don't know. You just said it. I don't know. The short hand goes to this number. What's this number? I don't know. You do know. I just draw the number on that one. Yeah. Where do you want to put the long hand? Gosh. Long hand. It's Friday night in Cork City. Greg Canty and his 22-year-old son, Brendan, are on a night out. Greg's first marriage ended in divorce, so Brendan lived primarily with his mother while keeping regular contact with his father. <laughs> do you head out much together on a Friday night or a Saturday night too? Uh, d- depends on, uh, on where the lives are, isn't it? Yeah. For the last year, you know, Brendan has been kind of loved up. So that means you don't see him, uh, you don't come across him as much. But then he breaks up with uh, the girlfriend, so you end up seeing him a bit more. I don't know, I wouldn't agree with that. We, we'd, have often, we'd have gone out a lot before that. Well, more so over to your house, I suppose, for dinner or something at the weekend. Yeah. But it's no bother. We could be going out with friends and Bren would pop along and it's not, not a bother. But at this stage, we're, we're buddies as much as, any, as anything. But it's always been that way, isn't it? Yeah, we've always yeah. been best friends. <clears throat> it's a nice way to be. You know, you talk about the fathers with the, uh, the Saturdays and the Sundays and the McDonald dads and all that kind of thing. The one thing that was awful in so many respects... But at least you're kind of like your Saturday or your Sunday is absolutely sacrosanct. And you do have that kind of special time. Now, chances are, in a normal sort of situation, that time is never going to set aside. And OK, you might be running around the place, ferrying them from one place to the other. But I think you do have a bit more quality time when you do have the time and you kind of appreciate it more. And maybe that's why we're best the buddies. That probably would have happened anyway, you know. Yes. Always growing up Saturday was our day, I suppose, because you were working up in Dublin for number of years or whatever but um, I don't know nowadays even though we don't see each other every Saturday I'd still kind of see it as our day yeah often and we'd, and we'd always be on yeah, the, yeah. in touch on the phone and texting and or 
celebrating you, Liverpool's success. And but you know most of my friends now as well, so I'd, yeah, I'd ring totally. and tell you stories about them and stuff like that. They'd pretty much be friends with you. And we well. regularly go spotting chicks and stuff. We go to Secrets, isn't that right, Brendan? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I have a free laugh dance waiting for me. Oh, do you? <laughs> it's optional, yeah. <laughs> can see that father of the year title just slipping away there, Greg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, we haven't gone to lap dancing clubs together. That, that, that's no, actually, one of the weird things altogether is um, he was best man at my wedding. Yeah. You know, which is a fairly cool thing. Yeah. Nice. You know, the horror stories about best men at weddings and making the speeches and oh, I tell you, it was the most perfect balance of uh, humour and um, understanding and uh, emotion and all the different things that you could put into it. It was absolutely incredible. He stole the show at the wedding. In Dublin, Heino Schoenfeld is the father of three young boys under the age of 14. Over three years ago, Heino's life as a father changed completely. My wife was uh, younger than me, 10 years younger than me. So when I got married to Siobhan, I was 43. And, uh, and she was 10 years younger, she was in her 30s. So obviously, you know, I never expected to be the surviving parent uh, at all. You know, it, in all my kind of, if you imagine that at all, it was always, you know, for me, it, it was a given that, that I would be the first to go uh, if I ever thought about it at all. Uh, and Siobhan was a very healthy woman, uh, very good at looking after herself and her health, whereas I'm not that good at it. Um, but unfortunately, she uh, she got a vicious uh, tumor, a brain tumor, uh, and um, it was only you know that it took only 18 months between diagnosis and when she died, and it was out of the blue. You know, she had a seizure while she was in West Cork with her family with the kids. And I got a phone call and I rushed down and she was in, uh, in the hospital. And uh, they did an MRI and noticed a shadow or something. And uh, then, you know, there was a biopsy. And they realized that it was, you know, not just a tumor, but it was the most vicious one that, you know, is uh, particularly virulent and, um, and always leads to death. And the boys didn't know about the prognosis. They knew she was sick and so on, but uh, they didn't know about the prognosis until, um, you know, until very late before she died. Uh, yes, it was very difficult. Uh, and it also, you know, the, the downside was, or the trade-in was, that maybe Siobhan and I couldn't do as much as we wanted for each other because, you know, we felt we had to... We had to live and care for the children and so on. And I was also determined to uh, maintain my working life because I couldn't help thinking ahead, you see, and how important it would be in the future for me to be able to, uh, to look after the children financially as well as anything else. So uh, we discussed all this, but, it, it, you know, there are trade-offs, you know, and you can do that. Um, but I think the two of us, Siobhan and I, would have uh, lived through that time very differently if, if it had been just ourselves.
on the other hand, I mean, the kids, in a way, keep you on the straight and narrow. You know, I mean, without them, you can you can easily fall in a big black hole and uh, and lose yourself in that grief, uh, be it anticipating grief or being the grief after after the death of a loved one. But uh, because you you can't stop, you know, and you can't allow yourself to. Um, you know, to stay in bed and do nothing or to despair. You, you just have to get up and look after them. You know, that is, in a way, a help, and it's a therapy in itself uh, because, you know, you, you just don't have those choices. You just, uh, they keep you going. Um, and you can't, you know, there are certain choices that I felt, you know, like negative choices that I could have taken if, if the kids were not, had not been there you know, for example, I could have started uh, drinking to excess, you know, or, you know, involve myself in other negative behavior. But I think that the children, to a large extent, protected me from that and kept me, if you like, you know, on the straight and narrow and made me walk the line. <laughs> so I'm grateful to them for that. In spite of their young age, back in Ennis, both Aidan and Cameron's mom have displayed a maturity in ensuring whatever decisions they take are in Cameron's best interests. Well, Cameron was six months when we first broke up. We kind of got back together and went apart and we just kind of up and down for a, a long while. And I suppose it was in... Well, Two years ago now that it's completely done, like you know, it's finished altogether. But uh, yeah, things have gotten all right since then. You know, we've built up a, a friendship rather than a relationship that kind of way. You know, built it up around him. We knew we had to to get on. You know, it couldn't just be a situation where we just had that that, that animosity between each other. Like you know, it's just had to organise something as well so that we could communicate and everything like that so it's alright you know Would Cameron ever ask about you know about you and his mum and how come you're not living together or anything like that? Not yet anyway I'm sure that question will come but not yet anyway Because of the circumstances, Cameron has a close relationship with his mum and dad's extended family, in particular Aidan's own mother. I just, you just, I just, I like you. Like me, I like you too. Shy of us, I believe it. Yeah, do you want to help me feed? I think you're very... I think you're four now, and I think you're well able to. Oh, Cameron. Come on. I'm just sucking off to slip off. You don't need to suck it off. Just put it in your mouth, honey. We're slurping. From when when he was a tiny baby, Aidan was fantastic with him. As he gets older, getting a little bit more distance. We're getting more of an attitude, so I think Daddy's finding that a little bit, a little bit more difficult to cope with. But um, no, he's good. He's good. 
I try to very much sort of say, you know, you need to ask daddy. You know, I don't want the rules confused as to who's mummy, who's daddy, who's nana, who's granddad. You know. And I think it, it works out very well because both mummy and daddy have complete access whenever they wish. I think Aidan is very lucky. That, that speak, just speaking for Aidan alone, I think Aidan is very lucky in the sense that he has a situation where he has complete access to his child, as does the child's mother. I've had Cameron since I was 19, so, do you know, I mean, it's just been part and parcel of, of me growing up, like, I've grown with him, really, like, do you know, a, a lot of maturing to do in the last couple of years, like, and it took a while to get there, but uh, <laughs> we're getting there. It brings you back to basics, like, you know, it brings you back to what really matters, like. Who brought the fire truck? Santa. No. Yeah. He just brought, my daddy just brought that. Greg and Brendan Canty have decided to take a break from their night out and grab a bite to eat. As they both live increasingly separate lives, they realise from past experience how important it is to make space for their relationship. So you would go to the to a Chinese the odd time, wouldn't you? Oh, we would, yeah, definitely. It's just one of those easy, relaxing things that you can do. And like, a, I suppose I'm busy working as well, and Brendan's busy doing his stuff as well. You know, that's one kind of a nice, comfortable thing you can do together and just relax for a while. Yeah, it's actually become one of our new things. We've we do we, we sometimes in the last few months we just come out once a week to go for a Chinese yeah, or once yeah. every two weeks or something. It's just yeah. nice to catch up. We seem to come here just the two of us as well. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's nice to just... That's kind of hard enough to do as well, you know, to kind of put that, put that specific time aside. Because, um, you know, more often than not, when you are kind of on and in relationships and all that kind of thing, to get time, just the two of you, you're kind of leaving other people out of the equation. You know, obviously, like Deirdre, even, even tonight, if she's on her tod when you're out and her, if Brendan's in a loved-up scenario, the, the, the same thing. There's no bother at the moment because he crashed and burned again, like, you know, with the most recent... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great farmer. <laughs> yeah, but, but there's another one now on the scene, Brian, so, you know, <laughs> we'd never know. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a total coincidence that he's having relationship difficulty? <laughs> no, I, I suppose um, you, would, you, you do pass on the stuff from your own relationship onto the kids you know and um, like I met my wife you know when I got married first I met her when I was very young and it was a big long relationship and we ended up getting married and never met other people got married too young and stuff so in your own head you're kind of thinking don't you be going doing the same thing because it's a mistake but you're, it can work for one person I can't but as parents I know I suppose you, you do that with all of them don't you you pass on your own fears and your own worries and they end up inheriting them at times. Yeah, I think um, I've actually started to notice this recently that in relationships I tend to be very, I don't know, loving and giving, and but I give it my all and really try and make it work. And probably too much sometimes it could be my downfall of it. But uh, I think that's recently I've kind of noticed that that's a direct. It's probably from the breakup, yeah. or yeah, the divorce and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe it's just a sense of I kind of really want 
my relationship or whatever to work because I can see, I don't know, the hurt that they can cause or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it's just, I've just, and I was talking to a friend uh, lately about it and they, who, and he had divorced parents as well and um, he, he thought the exact same thing. He says it does have that, can have that effect on you. So I say it would affect me a lot with relationships and like even that I'm out of a relationship my girlfriend broke up with me like two month, two or three months ago. I, I can, I don't really like the single life. I, I kind of, I, I find myself even subconsciously kind of wanting another girlfriend or wanting to find someone. And I, I don't know. This probably, probably comes from that again as well. Comes to the divorce as well. To be fair, with us, uh, I think we always try to avoid that scenario where there was aggro that involved the kids, but. When it came to stuff like schooling and all that kind of stuff, that always kind of crept into it, you know. And you have to try and make sure as much as possible that they didn't feel like they were a target for, you know, the bit of acrimonious stuff that was going on between us or whatever. But um, I, 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 I think you were okay. I think you were okay. Often, separated parents can feel left out from some of the day-to-day decisions related to their children. I did find it tricky, right, you know, the way, you know, even stuff like the schooling, the fact that you weren't there on the Monday to the Friday, you didn't know about those little quirks and the mood swings up and down and you didn't know about the school results and stuff. You're just totally excluded. You know, when it comes to all that stuff, you're just a total and utter passenger with stuff, you know? Okay, yeah, I can imagine it must be hard for... Like just say my mother when if and and you but if, if just say you wanted to be involved in what's going on with me in school, if she you know felt any bitterness from it or whatever, she, it might be hard for her to tell you those things and then you'd get frustrated not hearing them and stuff like that. Like this is only I don't know if that was the case. Like but I can imagine that sort of stuff would get complicated. Yeah. That, that kind of use happened all right in that. I'd say at times stuff would nearly be kept from you. She'd be in fear that I'd start giving out, oh, yeah, that's your fault, or whatever, you know. And maybe at times that would be your natural reaction. But So this kind of big, big ball of frustration, you just kind of build up the whole time where you're just not being told stuff, and then you're, you find out something when it kind of... And you have to find it out when it bursts about something, and, um, and, it's too, and it's kind of too late, and you feel totally out of the loop, and you're cross with her, and the kids will get upset and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, but uh, this is weird again we're kind of remem- remembering stuff about Brendan I, I even just their sense of things I remember even going back to the earliest days and he won't remember this but if um, I was having a fight or whatever he'd be trying to get us to hold hands and stuff like that you know so even at that early age he's trying to do his um, his kind of uh, his job and kind of restore that natural order that, uh, that, 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 that the way a child would understand it whatever you know I don't remember any of this. It's kind of, it's kind of nice to hear. It, I suppose you're describing situations to me now that I just, and I, I do remember them now that you say them. But if you ask me off the top of my head, can you remember those moments from your childhood? I, I wouldn't have a clue. But I suppose I now that you said it, those those times were probably the hardest, the most difficult. Trying to just being five years old and trying to actually understand. What the hell was going on, and why is why is why it is going on? Is it your fault? Can you do anything to fix it? You know, and then trying to deal with that. And yeah. But even your birthdays and stuff like that. Would you, you know, those times when there's a party in the house and everyone is over, 
I probably, but like I, we we always worked that well. Like whenever I had a birthday, I'd always do something with you. In the same way, on Christmas Day, I'd always have Christmas d- dinner in my my mother's house, but I'd always see you in the morning. And then Stephen's Day, we'd always have our Christmas Day. That that, that sort of thing. So we, I think we always worked around it fairly, fairly well. That was our Christmas trick. We used to have two Christmas days. That was our way of getting around it. So extra presents. Yeah, Santa Claus used to come on the double. Um, so we, we just did a total replica of Christmas Day the following day, yeah, which is nice. kind of a bonus. Yeah. The way it was kind of you know people would always warn you about spoiling them, but I kind of felt you know they have a tough in so many respects. So what the hell you know? Let's spoil them a little bit. They deserve it because they have things aren't so great in other respects. You know, so they probably did get spoiled, but who cares? You know. Like many parents across the country, Heino leaves work in time to be able to collect his sons from school. So we have arrived at the school. It's uh, the German school in Klonski. So what we do is now, uh, they are in two different places. Finn is in supervised studies, uh, and I think he had a football match today, so um, he might be hanging around there somewhere in the assembly hall. And then the little ones are in, uh, in uh, after-school care together and to herd them to the car. <laughs> so you will see. Ah, Finn. There was no supervised studies today? Uh, no. So you just did your stuff here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you have a football match? Uh, it was hockey. Hockey. Yeah. How did you do? Uh, we lost tonight, but it was okay. Huh? Hmm. <laughs> okay, well done. All right. Uh, you can get ready here. Yeah. Get your coat and that, and uh, we get the little ones. Get your shoes on and tops and then. So you get an idea. It's gathering all the stuff and it's in different spots. And sometimes the kids are in different spots, so um, it can take up to 20 minutes to gather everything together. Okay, put your top on. It's a little bit cold. Come on. You know, there is this natural assumption sometimes that children are invariably better off with their with their mum and mm. often the you know the courts might make a judgment um, mm. that the mum would be the primary care um, and I'm just wondering how you know you d- that um, that might not always be the case you know it doesn't seem to it seems to me that it's not always that black and white certainly not I don't think you can generalize that and make a general rule like that uh, it depends really what the circumstances are. I mean, in this case, in my case, it was not a matter of choice, and uh, that's just how things are. Uh, but I do think that they miss out. First of all, by being being raised by just one parent, I think that it's much easier to raise children when you have you know, two adults sharing that responsibility. Um, but I also think that they are missing out on that, if you like, female or mothering input into the family, into family life. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I as a father am ma- less able to 
look after them, then uh, Siobhan would have been, I think that would be impossible to say. Ah, just a minute, just a sec. And basically ignoring what I'm asking him to do. Today he's getting away with it. Because <laughs> I don't want to be caught shouting and screaming on, on the mic. I just suppose in terms of a social life for you, <laughs> does it exist? Uh, it does exist, but at a, at a greatly reduced rate. Um, I mean, it's now, what, half past, seven o'clock, and you're cooking the dinner, um, get the guys to bed, make sure the homework is done. Uh, And then I have about two hours for myself, which, you know, is not probably, tonight anyway, not spent on social life. Uh, You know, I may just answer some personal emails, I may pay some household bills and do a few bits and pieces or watch some telly. You know, uh, I mean, you probably know yourself that, uh, you know, to have a babysitter for an evening, you know, there go 50 euros for starters. That's not the taxi and not the drinks and whatever else. So uh, it's it's quite an expensive thing to do as well. So you can't do it every day. Uh, and then there, there are areas of social life. Sorry, there is now a bit of noise. You know, cooking. Uh, there are areas of social life that, that are linked to the children. Uh, where you meet other parents, for example, you know, uh, friends who you have met through children and who you usually meet for joint activities. Um, But there's a lot of social life in this house going on. (laughs) It's a boy's house and uh, there's, you know, a lot of things are going on. And, you know, obviously you participate in that kind of in the social life of your children, in a way, you know. You get to a stage where the social life of your children becomes your social life. <laughs> and it's not as sad as it sounds. And are the kids, are, are, the, are the guys quite open if I'm to talk to them about their mum, or is it something that... Um, do, do you talk about it as a family, or are you open about Sometimes, it? yeah. Um, I try not to force that issue or anything, you know. But things come up, you know, where uh, the guys would say, oh, mommy liked to do that or like to cook that or something like that. Um, and maybe you saw there are pictures around as well, still, yeah. So um, they are not that comfortable talking about it, you know. They like to look at her picture, uh, and I'm sure they think a lot about her. And even Ben, who was very little at the time, has amazing memories uh, and Ben is probably the one, the youngest, who is, who is talking most about his mother. And did you see your dad change at all after your mum died? Is he still the same dad he was? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think he changed that much. No, I don't think he changed that much, no. It was probably much harder for him because you know even I and I was pretty old I still don't remember her as much as he would 
So what do you think? Do you think that it's a lot different when you grew up with, say, just a dad or do you think... Yeah, it is kind of different. But I'd say you'd get used to it. You get used to it, yeah. I don't really know. It's hard to say once you get used to it. I'd say it's probably harder for our dad than it is for us because he has, like, more stuff to do. Yeah, he's more stuff to do. Is there something you think you miss out on um, by just having a dad? I'm not sure. No. I, I'm not sure. We probably are more used to it and we wouldn't really know what we're missing. We wouldn't really know that, no. Really? Yeah. We wouldn't really be able to say, oh yeah, if we had a mom, it would be easier in, you know, whatever way. And what kind of a dad would you say your dad is? How would you describe him? He's really nice, but he's not he's not strict, but he knows, you know, what's best for us. He he's he's a good dad, yeah. Back in Ennis, twenty three year old Aidan Ryan has adapted pretty well. But that's not to say life as a father doesn't pose challenges for him. Well he's had to, certainly he's had to change his priorities. Um which I suppose at, 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 at the age he was at at the time was a big thing. Does it frustrate Aidan from time to time, being a dad? Yeah, I'd say the restriction of it. The restrictions of it possibly do. But then again, Aidan is a dad without a lot of restrictions because he has a lot of backup. Is it... Do, do you have to kind of watch it that you don't sort of allow your mum take over sometimes? Not really. I think she knows the, the line. Um, at the start, she'd have been pushing me into it rather than taking over. Do you know that kind of way? And I know my responsibilities and my responsibilities, and she makes it fairly well known that they're my responsibilities and not hers. Do you know? So, but uh, no, she's great with him. Like, so I'm lucky to have her. So without him, I would have been lost. I wouldn't have known what to do. Neither of us would like. I mean, even the case of, of night feeds and stuff like that and, and when to get up and how to structure their day and how to get them into routine and stuff like that. I mean, it's stuff that's passed on rather than... It's an it's, it's, you don't learn it in a book, like, really. I don't find it very difficult, to be honest. There are times when, when I'd like to, to be somewhere else Sometimes, like you know, going out or whatever like that, and there's 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 no one around, and you just kind of you just go put up with it, like you know, you just you get over it, so you have to stay in the mind, camera, and it's fine. Like I don't know, I suppose it'd be the the thing as well of of, of travelling and stuff like that. You know, I mean, you can't just there's be a lot of my friends now getting up, leaving, going to different countries, working over there and stuff like that, and the thought appealed to me, like you know, I mean, I, I'd like the idea of it, but it's it's not something that you can just get up and do, like you know. I just kind of dismissed the idea rather than dwelling on the thought of it, like, you know. But, uh, no, I prefer life the way it is now, so. Better quality of life. <laughs> Look what you got this. Huh? What that? While each generation puts its own stamp on parenting, it is the inherited experience that often defines the role of fathers. The breakup or change in any family structure 
has emotional consequences for both parents and children alike. Father and son Brendan and Greg Canty are proof that despite difficult circumstances, a healthy, stable and loving relationship can thrive. Uh, Brendan was quite unusual. I remember for a period of time, he went through the spell, and it was obviously his way of coping with it, of telling everyone that he was separated. And again, he probably doesn't remember this, but coming into town on a, on a Saturday and wandering around the place getting a cup of coffee, you go into the little corner shop, you know the little shop there on the corner from the Imperial, the little small news agent. And within two minutes of being in there, he's telling your one behind the counter, oh, I'm separated. And as if it was something that he, you know, from it being a secret and not wanting to be the only guy in school who had this issue or problem, he was actually going the other way. And then, oh, hey, hey, this is fabulous, let's tell everyone, you know. Again, that's just... That's crazy. It's, another, it's probably another example of how... I was very evidently dealing with it at that young age. Like I remember getting, um, God knows where it came from at this stage, but I remember getting advice at an early stage after it separated that what the kids fear is, okay, you're out of, the, out of the picture, out of the equation. They actually fear, probably totally unnaturally, that maybe their other parent could disappear as well. And it's all about kind of like a, a foundation for them. And um, just, it's so important, even if you're not there, to kind of like constantly ring and call and always be there. And even if they're not too bothered about talking to you, whatever, just to keep up that routine. And if it is kind of like a weekend scenario, make sure you're always there on the Saturday morning at 10 o'clock or on the, on the Friday evening. Be there at the time and just try and keep it as kind of solid and as consistent as possible. You know, so you give them a, a pattern kind of straight away. Maybe the, the biggest loss is that kind of like, you know, that ordinary Monday to Friday, waking up in the morning, they're just around having cornflakes with you and kicking around. That w w when, when that falls out of the relationship, maybe it's a much bigger deal. But I'm kind of happy with everything, with the, 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 the real one huge regret. And it's the only regret I have with anything I've done, is, is the hurt I caused. And, and, that's, and I, I wouldn't underestimate that for a second. Society's preconceived notions of fatherhood can often be very different from the actual day-to-day -day realities of life as a father. Widowed father of three, Heino Schoenfeld, is aware that this is an issue he'll have to overcome as the head of a single-parent family. His main focus, though, like every dad, is on raising his family as best he can. My dad. Did you say to me that initially in the, in the early days after, after your wife um, died that you felt people were looking at mm. you suspiciously because you were a single well, Suspiciously is maybe, I think that's, that's too strong a word. I would say that people would, would be aware and would watch me whether I would be able, as a man, you know, to deal with that challenge. And I felt that it sometimes put additional pressure on me that people wouldn't think that, that I'm not, I can't really rise to that challenge and, uh, and look after them properly. But it may all be in my head. Uh, I don't know. Uh, nobody would have ever expressed that to me. People, it was more the other way around that people would have said almost you know, surprised or admiringly that uh, I did so well, you know, as if that was a surprise. And I'm not so sure whether they would have equally praised a surviving mother. You know what I mean? 
But, but in my own head, you know, I, I felt that sometimes as an additional pressure that, you know, I had to cover all bases and I have to, had to make sure that nobody thinks, you know, there is a poor man and he can't, uh, he can't look after his children. <laughs> Now 